What do we all think of our of our willow names? It it, it fits certainly. It certainly what feels is, like a willow name. Yours. Which one? Oh, no. Did Brendan do one? Yeah, let me yeah. find. I have to open up Facebook again to find. He's it. a bard. Or yeah, something. or or bard is my name. I'm not really clear. <laughs> Elder and bard schnurks. Yeah, elder what? and bard. Elder, yeah, elder and bard shrinks. I guess that's hard to that's hard to wrap your mouth around. I know it is. You know, not everyone can be Laney Lightfoot, which also sounds like if there were to be a excuse me, it's Lighthead. Very um, different. I thought I thought you were the mythical daughter of Gordon Lightfoot. No, it's Laney Lighthead, and she's clearly like the the fantasy version of like Susan Vance from Bringing Up Baby. <laughs> it's just like a very ditzy, airy. She's what misplaced fun. her dragonette. I feel like I, I feel like Bard being unclear whether that's your job or like your name is really on brand for this movie where there's someone named Mad Mardigan and it's unclear whether or not yeah well whether or I, not it's a I, title or no I mean uh, I don't think it is a title if you look no, at the spelling not, of it it's definitely one name one word Mardigan. that name but like I, yeah. I think we should I like the the term I like to use I, I forget where I heard this from it's in another movie or something where it's like the, the improbably named Mad Mardigan because it's just like <laughs> very unlikely that that is in fact your name sir oh my god at That's some really point good. somebody muddled mad into you like clearly you were dubbed mad mardigan yeah and some somewhere point. along the way that got muddled it's also just just like that's too many syllables you know like that's too many <laughs> syllables for a name i don't want to be a jerk your name needs to be like a little shorter for me <laughs> this the podcast where three friends watch a troubled movie talk about what they liked what they didn't like and how they would fix it all while enjoying a themed cocktail i'm your host for this episode brendan nightmarish pulsating two-headed lump of skinned monkey man flesh drishler i'm chris white fade ravel uh, and i am lee i stole a baby <laughs> <laughs> and as you could surely tell by that Franz john impression I... with the movie that we watched for this episode is willow the 1988 fantasy movie directed by ron howard from a story by george lucas executive produced by george lucas and of course if we're going to watch a movie such as willow you need a little drinky drink to accompany it now uh, as you might be able to tell for this episode so due to a, um, you know, a grab bag of various illnesses, we're not actually recording in person. But thankfully, by sheer dumb luck, we all happened to try this drink the last time we recorded an episode in person. So we all do have opinions on it. Uh, the drink that we made for this is called Black Root Potion. It is one ounce of gin, an ounce and a half of lemonade, 0.75 ounces of chilled indigo punch tea, and 0.25 ounces of Campari. And you just throw everything in a shaker with ice, shake it up, and strain it into a coupe glass. And that's it. It'll look a very, uh, it has a very lovely purple sort of color to yes. it, a very sort of magical looking color, which only seems fitting. Even. Yes. Yes. What did you all think of the black root potion? It's nice. It's nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's it not just not. like my wife. It's, it's nice. I thought it was delicious when yeah, we had it. Um, it was. I thought it was a really fun color. I think it was, if I remember incorrectly, it had a really nice balance of kind of being like a little fruity, but still had that nice little kind of like gin, you know, yeah. steel toed kick. 
Yeah. You can taste the 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 kick, which I want in a drink. Mm-hmm. I don't like it when it just tastes like one like flavor fruit. profile. Yeah, yeah, or like or just like lemonade or whatever mixer is in there. I like to have right. like a that aftertaste of that kind of bitter or um, fiery like alcohol aftertaste. Right, which the Campari obviously helped with um, in this yeah. in this case. And I thought yeah. the tea actually was pretty good too. As someone who's not a very big tea person, it was a nice sort of um, more floral fruity kind of tea. So there was a little bit more going on there for me. I think. My note on this drink is that I made it like three or four times and I think it tastes better to me having had the validation from you guys that it tastes good. Is that weird? (laughs) Is that like I I made it and I was like, like I like my lack of confidence in my own. I was like, did did I make something that's like good? I was trying to trick myself. Like, if I got this in the bar, like, would I be like, yes? Uh, I think it's, I it's good, good to know. And, I yeah. get it. I yeah, feel like especially... there's a certain degree of like, am I just, have I just been staring at this so long, or have I put myself in a headspace that I like this or whatever? I think it's 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 validating to have someone outside yourself be like, no, this is good. Especially yeah. because it was kind of an entirely improvised drink. So you were just kind of sitting there like experimenting with things, you know, it's not mm-hmm. like you were going off of a recipe. You're just sort of like, eh, I don't know, maybe this would taste good if we threw some of this in here to change the profile a little bit. So, yeah, yeah, I get so, it. Yeah, I I, um, I definitely enjoyed it. I'll probably make it again. I've still got a lot of that. Tea left, yeah, so. I'd probably try it again. <laughs> All right. So having covered the cocktail, I think the next order of business is to go into the synopsis of willow lee would you be so good as to consult our dear old friend professor wikipedia for his synopsis on the movie willow so <laughs> it's gonna be a long one guys yeah great great a lot happens. it's a little it's a little involved and uh, we uh which we'll get I mean, into later it's a long wikipedia movie. article also uh seeks to attempt i guess to clarify things that in the movie are a little bit more shall we say ill-defined so mm-hmm. it's got that going for it i guess yeah. In an unnamed fantasy world, the evil sorceress Queen Bevmorda of Nokmar hears a prophecy that a child with a special rune birthmark will bring about her downfall. As a preventative measure, she imprisons all pregnant women in her domain. The foretold child is born, but the mother persuades the midwife to smuggle the baby out of the castle. Bevmorda executes the mother and sends her wolf-like Nokmar hounds after the midwife. With the hounds closing in on her, the midwife sets the baby adrift on a grass raft in a river, forced to coming to the hounds. Meanwhile, Bevmorda sends her daughter Sorsha and an army led by General Kale to hunt down the baby. Some distance downriver, a village of Nelwyn, a race of dwarves, prepares for a festival. The baby is found by the children of farmer and aspiring sorcerer Willow Ufgood, and his family takes her in and comes to love her. At the festival, a Nokmar hound arrives and attacks all the cradles it finds. After the Nelwyn warriors kill it, Willow presents the baby to the village reader, the High Aldwyn, as the probable reason for the dog's appearance. The High Aldwyn orders the baby must return to a daikini, which is the Nelwyn's term for tall people, uh, family. So Willow and a party of volunteers set out with the baby to find one. At a crossroads, they find Mad Mardigan, a mercenary trapped in a crow's cage, who offers to take the baby in exchange for his freedom. The majority of the Nelwyn think they should give the baby to him, but Willow and his friend Migosh refuse, causing the others to abandon them and, re- and go home. After meeting Mad Mardigan's old comrade, Eric, on his way with an army to attack Buff Morda, Willow relents and agrees to Mad Mardigan's terms. On the way home, Willow and Migosh discover that some brownies have stolen the baby and pursue them. They are captured by the brownies, but fairy queen Cherlindria 
<laughs> there was no way there was no way to get through that one you know Cherlindria uh, frees them and explains the baby is Elora Danan the foretold princess of Tiraslene she gives Willow a magic wand and sends him to find Finn Raziel an aging enchantress Willow sends Migosh home and continues the journey in the company of two of the brownies Franjan and Rule. On the way, he re-encounters Mad Marnigan, who is disguising himself as a woman to hide from his mistress's husband, Lug. Sorsha and Kale's army arrives, but Mad Marnigan is revealed as a man to Lug, who starts a brawl which helps Willow and Mad Marnigan escape with Alora. Mad Marnigan, seemingly reluctantly, leads Willow to the lake where Raziel lives. They are captured soon thereafter, along with Raziel, who has been turned into a brush-tailed possum by Bev Morda. Willow tries to restore her, but he turns her into a rook. Franjan accidentally doses Mad Marnigan with Lug potion. Mad Mardigan declares undying love for Sorsha, but she is skeptical. Willow's party flees, finding Eric and the remnants of his army after Beth Morda defeated them. When the Nakmar army pursues, Mad Mardigan takes Sorsha hostage and they flee once more. However, Sorsha escapes. Willow's party arrives at Tiris Lane only to find it cursed and overrun with trolls. Kale's army arrives and Mad Mardigan and Willow attempt to fend them off. Willow accidentally turns the troll into a two-hat-headed Ebersisk monster. Sure. Wand. And in the chaos that ensues, Kale kidnaps Alora. Sorsha, realizing she has fallen in love with Man Mardigan, defects to his side. Eric's army arrives, but Kale, carrying Alora on horseback, rides through them and makes his way to Nokmar Castle. Bathmorda orders preparation of a ritual to banish Alora from the world forever. Willow's party and Eric's army arrive at Nokmar Castle, but Bavmorda casts a spell to turn them all to pigs. Willow, having used the wand to protect himself, finally restores Raziel to her human form. She breaks Bavmorda's spell over the army, and they trick their way into the castle. Kale slays Eric, but Mad Mardigan avenges him as Willow, Sorsha, and Raziel confront Bavmorda in the ritual chamber. After a grueling fight, Bavmorda incapacitates Raziel and Sorsha. Willow uses sleight of hand to trick Bathmorda into thinking he has made Alora disappear. Bathmorda, unnerved, moves to attack him, but in doing so, accidentally completes the ritual banishing herself. During celebrations of the restored <laughs> Tiris Lane, Willow is gifted a spellbook by Raziel. Leaving Alora in the care of Mad Mardigan and Sorsha, Willow returns home to his village and family in triumph. There you go. There it is. That's Willow with some additional help. Some assumptions. Yes. Some assumptions are being made there. I don't know. I yes. mean, I was going to say. I don't have, but the movie certainly doesn't tell you that information. I certainly right. bit my tongue because I didn't want to hold you up because you had yeoman's work to do. But I was there were like multiple points where I was like, did they say that or are we just making a leap? Yeah. We're making uh, some leaps have been made in this. A lot um, of leaps and like they the word Ebersis never appeared. They never mention nope. the the name of the dragon or the breed of the dragon. I don't know, whatever it is. That must I don't have know if that's come his name. From, like breed. an art book or something. You know, yeah, I mean? I mean, like I said, there there is some sort of a willow source material book out there that explains some additional yeah. facts about the this other, world. The other thing that is not clear, there's a um uh, if maybe it's fine to just run through and kind of correct some of these mm -hmm. things because this yeah, is yeah, yeah. I want to talk about the problems I have later on. Yeah. The Wikipedia summary says Willow accidentally turns a troll into a two-headed Ebersisk, which is like a dragon thing. That's not clear at all. 
What you happened? Know. Like when you see in the movie, it's like he throws a spell with the wand at a troll. The troll mm-hmm. falls into water, and well, no, no. To be first of all, he casts a spell. Then the troll's it turns skin, into a weird egg like, peels off, and it doesn't. I don't right. even think it's an egg. It just looks like a, a like like a, a, a bunch of like yeah, a flesh lump. And then all of a sudden, like two little like heads kind of pop out, and like me me me. And he he's like ooh, and kicks it into the water. Then the yeah. water starts bubbling, and then like a fully grown dragon comes out of it. So like yes, I realize the blob of flesh had two heads the dragon has two heads like i can infer i guess that one is related to the other but again it's like what was willow trying to do did he want to turn it into a dragon if he wanted to turn into a dragon why did it turn into like an ugly little lump first of all why didn't it just start turning into a dragon like why does your skin peel off yeah it, um, also, it's, is it just like is that just what happens is it just a natural thing or like was that intentional or was that just what happens you try to use magic on trolls they get hydrated and they right. get bigger right like, yeah exactly or, or is this just again like because we see many times willow like can't really do magic that magic. well yeah, yeah so like not used to it right Unclear. so because like when he tries to turn old lady sorceress back into yeah. a human he turns her into like a goat and a bird and all this other shit first yeah and the other big one is at the end it's super unclear what this ritual is oh a hundred a hundred percent so like I, I i get it i guess that like if if we're taking this wikipedia article to be true and factual then like yeah i guess maybe just to cover all your tracks you would want to banish this baby to an alternate dimension like maybe if there was a line and again okay i've only seen this movie twice so maybe i missed something but like if there was a line of dialogue where someone were to say like if we don't banish this baby to another dimension, it'll keep coming back. You know, like like it'll be reborn again. You know, like this right. baby will keep getting reborn until it happens. So like we gotta throw it in the evil dimension. But like I don't think anyone ever says that. And then it's even more confusing at the end when Bav Morda accidentally disappears. She just like touches the altar and then vanishes, and you're like right. Like what? and all of a sudden, like this like goop starts like flying out from the heavens and like connects to her, and then she Sucks just disappears. Her, yeah. Right. And I was just, yeah. Like it, reading that description, like I guess it could be that she completed the spell accidentally and got herself banished to this alternate dimension but like no one really says that that also feels like the whoever wrote this is doing a lot of work for the movie to connect that because there's no effort to explain it and i don't think it's really properly communicated visually what's happening and i guess to my eye what i get from that is like they wrote themselves up into that moment and then they're like, fuck, how can we resolve this in a way that I guess is not bloody or as violent? And they're like, uh, I guess she just disappears after Goop hits her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if it's also one of those things where like it was explained very clearly in the script, but like due to budgetary concerns or like the inability of special effects at the time, it just could not be done well. And so ergo, it's like, yeah, everyone agreed this made sense when making it. But then when like a third party comes in and watches it, they're like, Wait, what the fuck is she doing? Like, what happened to her here? And as much as we're going to criticize this film, it was thrilling to see an original fantasy film. Like, this was not based on, like, a source material that I know of. I don't know. And I I felt myself just being so excited by that while I was watching it. Right. So, I mean, it is definitely not based on anything specifically, but I feel like it's pulling a lot from your kind of basic hero's journey sort of shit. Like I said, there's a lot of trappings of Lord of the Rings in here, even if it's not really pulling from fellowship mm-hmm. or anything like that but you obviously and i think anytime i guess you have major characters who are little people it's going to be a little bit like oh this feels like lord of the rings to me so like maybe this is just something that i'm bringing to it but i think even in terms of plot it feels a lot like 
Star Wars, kind of, just in terms of like farmer character finds MacGuffin, has to take MacGuffin to place. He meets a sort of ragtag, rebellious kind of guy who helps him out, but seems kind of like he's just in it for himself. There's two comic relief sidekicks who show up. There's a woman, but she doesn't matter too much in this one per se. <laughs> it just it, it kind of feels like maybe George Lucas was just kind of high on mythology at this point in time. I guess, because... but like, I, I think one thing that feels inherently different about this movie, and again, it's it's a weird choice. You can maybe talk about it, make it to characters mm-hmm. and why it was done this way. But having him have a wife and children is such a different vibe than him being like a teenager or young adult that hasn't right. found his place yet. Like, yes, he has aspirations of being a sorcerer, but he also clearly has connections and roots that he wants to go back to. So the whole time he's on this adventure, his end game is like, I want to go back to my family, like, which right. is, I think, an interesting place for a hero to be, right. which is like, I, I have a goal to accomplish, but I want to stay alive and make it back home to my family. It feels a little bit Lord of the Rings in that respect to me. Obviously, you don't have really so much Frodo with a wife and kids, but the goal for like the Hobbits is like, we just want to fucking get back home at yeah. the end of the day. Like, we just want to wash our hands of this shit and go home and like have something to drink i just thought it was interesting that like as much as i think it's 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 sort of a weird fit for the kind of story they want to tell having uh him have a family it is interesting that his way into this he picked up a baby and was like we're gonna take care of this Yep. Like, yeah, I just want to adopt this baby. I, it was just interesting to see this baby. Right. Yeah. Well, it was, it's just interesting to see a character in this kind of story enter that story through parental instinct. Like, I, it's that's unexpected. And I was like, that's yeah. interesting. That's an interesting no, it angle. Is, mm-hmm. It is like a rare, again, it's like a, it's, it's a unique entryway into an arc for a character. He's got aspirations of wanting to be a sorcerer, but like, he's very like family minded and nurturing as a person. Mm-hmm. And his, he's very like guardian and protector focused like his whole his motivations mostly are guided by like keeping Alora safe throughout the movie like he takes that very seriously that's like his number one goal right and he also seems to be very in tune with her needs because he tends to be the one person at any point in the movie being like she's sick she's unhappy she's this she's that he seems to be most dialed in to her yeah I, I can't explain why so I, I, I we had talked about this briefly during our mini but like none of us had really seen this movie or had recollections of seeing this movie Lee you had seen it a couple of months ago um, yeah. and that was the first time any of us really knew it and I guess I can't speak for Chris but I only saw it like two weeks ago or so for the first time I did see it once uh, when I was much younger and but like my recollection of it was like so mixed up with mm-hmm. other stuff so like it was not it was not like a clear thing so like when I watched it for this I was like oh okay I like remembered certain things but most of it was a, was like watching it for the first time for me yeah for me this was effectively watching it for the first time and one of the things that I did find I guess weirdly surprising and I guess I'm not quite sure why I found it so surprising connecting to what you were saying Lee, the idea that he does have a wife and kids and maybe part of that was because I knew that Warwick Davis who plays Willow was like 17 when they filmed it so like That's I guess crazy. I just assumed that if you were a 17 year old they're not going to be like and you have a four-year-old daughter and a three-year-old yeah. son and a wife it's just the sort thing of like is, okay. he does look very young no I think he does I don't think he looks jarringly young you know like I could see him and like if he has kids I'm like yeah okay I guess I guess you could have kids and I know it's could be one of those things where it's like well maybe this is like a medieval peasant thing where you get married at age 15 and your life expectancy 
is 40 years. If you're not married with kids by that point, it's like, well, you're, you're like, what the fuck are you even doing with yourself anymore? And so I guess that could be sort of the explanation for it. But like I said, it just struck me as a very strange sort of thing. I liked the idea that he was a very sort of nurturing character who wanted mm-hmm. to take care of this baby and also he was not necessarily on a quest for glory like a la luke skywalker where it's like there's something beyond my home that i have to get to and deal with it was like no everything that i want is right back here and that's okay with me i just help this kid out who washed up in my riverbed I, i'm just trying to like compare it to the idea that if you watched the first star wars movie with no concept of it at all going into it except that like it was about this guy named luke skywalker and then like halfway through luke's like ah, i better go see my wife and kids before i leave tattooing you'd be a little bit like i'm sorry you're what what are they doing in this story and i guess you know i i realize that willow is not necessarily inherently a romance for willow either you know it's not like the, it's not like the, this is a movie where you're expecting him to find love along the way or something like that maybe. yeah and so maybe that was the explanation maybe well, they just kind of wanted to eliminate that by the same token i mean i don't know if i don't know what was going on in george lucas's mind who but does? There, like there, I don't. There clearly wasn't ever going to be a romance with Luke, unless that was the thing they figured out later. Right. Oh, well, no, a hundred percent. Leia was not his sister in the original versions of Star Wars. Leia was not his sister until after Empire, before Jedi. Because there's a line in Empire where Yoda and Obi Wan are talking, and Yoda says, "No, there's another one." So you can like leave and be like, "Ooh, who's the other person that he's talking about?" And then when Jedi comes out, George Lucas is like, uh, "Leia's his sister. She's the other one." And you're just kind of like, "Oh, okay." That's because, so like, funny. To- I think he just like put that up on a shelf. He's like, I'll deal with that later. I'll deal with that later in my major franchise. Right. Which again is just going back to the whole like concept that he did not have this whole fucking thing planned out, which is also why like Leia aggressively kisses Luke and Empire Strikes Back. You probably wouldn't have had her character do that if you knew that they were siblings at the time. Like I understand that, yes, in a real world scenario, these two don't know their siblings. Maybe they might kiss because they're feeling some weird energy. I think it's nonetheless a very weird thing to throw into your movie if you, yeah. the director and creator, know that they're related i digress i think um just going back to the willow of it all i feel like there's a certain degree that they are maybe just also trying to tuck into like well these are nelwins we don't really know what they look like at different ages we don't really know what's like normal for them so they can kind of like get away with a lot no i I I don't think they needed to i don't think looking at luke it's not like even weirdness with Leia aside. It's not like there was a big focus on romance in Luke's right. arc up until the reveal that actually she was a sister anyway. It was mostly about Luke becoming a Jedi and doing cool star stuff and, and pilot stuff and, and, and sword fighting with lasers. <laughs> so therefore, I don't think that you didn't need to sort of write that off of Willow's plate by giving him an established family. You could have mm-hmm. just said he's 17 and he isn't married, but also he's not going to find a hot no one right away he's just gonna be he he doesn't care that's not what this is about this is about him protecting a baby and becoming a sorcerer right yeah i mean that honestly like i I don't know why i have such a weird hang-up on that but like that is the one thing that i feel like if i could ask george lucas and ron howard like why does he have a wife and kids i guess like that's just sort of my question (laughs) maybe in in the 80s is this 80s 80s. maybe it was like we can't imagine how a man can take care of a baby (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Unless he's already raised a baby. Exactly. I <laughs> can't picture how, how can man be nurturing and caring if not family? I mean, this was the decade that gave us three men and a baby. So maybe this just was like a question that was on Hollywood's minds for the entire <laughs> decade where it's just like, ooh, if, me, if man hasn't raised baby before, how oh could God. man raise baby now? How can men handle from, baby? From Willow to three men and a baby. <laughs> in this essay, 
I will talk about how the 80s was about trying to imagine men in nurturing positions. <laughs> yes. um, no, my explanation for this is because this was the 80s, there was still someone left who was going to tell uh, George Lucas, like, eh, I don't know about that. Maybe rethink it. So maybe they were like, hey, this is seeming a lot like Star Wars. And he was like, hey, you know what? Now it's not because now the Luke character has a whole family oh, and no, has actually, kind of kind of had like already man. a life experience. But he was 17. But yeah, he's 17 yeah, except, still. yeah, except he is like the same age as Luke. I don't think Star he's Wars, playing 17, with, to be fair. I don't no, think he is either. No. And that's the other thing, too. So the woman, it's very hard to find information about the woman who played his wife, who I think like does a pretty good job, to be fair. But she, from what I can tell, and I don't know where this is, information is coming from, but it seems to be that she is like 25 years older oh, than she's Willow. Old. Yeah. yeah, and I don't think again. I don't think she reads as drastically older than no. Will, but she is like. But I think like looking at her, you can look at these two and be like, "There's an age difference here." Like not a weird age difference, but an age difference nonetheless. Which I think again also makes it all the stranger that like, for whatever reason, they're like, "Okay, he's got to have a wife. Uh, let's pick this woman who's 25 years older than him, and she'll be his <laughs> wife." Is it like, dare I say, like a casting limitation? Oh no, I think it's almost certainly that, right? Like you probably have a limited number of little people actors, and then when you're beyond, you're like, well, we need people who can actually like act and like give dramatic heft to things. And it's like maybe this woman is just like the best actor that we have. Ergo, she is the wife because of that. I will say it is refreshing that they did that, like just cast little people at instead of like, uh, wasn't there also like that movie with um. Oh my god! It was like an actor playing a little person, and he was literally like filmed on his knees. Tiptoes, Gary Oldman. Tiptoes. Yeah, I mean that was also like thirty years later. So I feel like we didn't really have the technology at the time to like, or or the budget rather to shrink everyone down. Obviously, we do that the brownies a little bit in this. Yeah, I mean all the brownies are just regular men. Right, regular guys who were just shrunk down. Yeah, it was just refreshing in a weird way to see that. (laughs) Yeah, there is also apparently if you if you believe George Lucas when he says these things which i usually don't because there's a lot of self-mythologizing going on here but like he had said that there is a version of star wars that like he originally thought about casting like luke and leia and obi-wan with as little people and then having everyone else be like a regular human-sized person so it does sort of feel like in his head at some point he was always kind of wanting to do a movie where the protagonist was a little person wait so who would the little people have been in star wars leia and and obi-wan i believe yeah (laughs) to what a I think he just thinks it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I guess, right? They wouldn't, I mean, because, like, again, like, what is a human in the Star Wars universe, right? Like, like, are are we humans? Yeah, but. And then he did the Ewoks. Yeah, and then the yeah, right, and then the Ewoks showed up, and that's and that's how he met Warwick Davis, and that's how Warwick Davis ended up in this movie. I, I wonder if it's one of those things where it's like so many old Hollywood movies cast little people as like weird little monsters or creatures. So George Lucas had watched so much of that, and he's like, "Fascinating, more of this, please." Yeah, like I don't know, I just, I inherently don't trust it when somebody is like, "I want to do a movie with all the little like cast right. all the little people." It just that sounds inherently like exploitative. Exploitive. It does. And I, I had always kind of wondered when I was watching this, like, I, I feel like Warwick Davis had said that, like, he thinks it's it's a good thing because this is a movie where, you know, the main character is a little person. A lot of the secondary characters are little people and it is all them. You know, it, it is all actual little people playing these characters who are also little yeah. people. And he's like, yeah, I think this is a good thing. This gets work for us. Like, and I'm glad that I got to play an actual character and not just like some weird little elf or goblin or something. <laughs> good right. point. Which I like, think, yeah, I agree. I think this I, movie does good things. No, I do too. Yeah. Because it is one of those, but like on the other hand, I also sometimes wonder like, does it bug you a little bit still that they're still kind of like a weird race of tiny half people and that they're not like, you know, it's not like someone's just doing 
a rom-com you know what i mean like it is still sort of like you're a fantasy world and that's how we justify the fact that you're a little person i will i mean obviously i can't speak to how much this might make like a, a little person feel othered but at least to my eye they were not like coded as being particularly strange or exotic or like right. incomprehensible. They yeah. saved well, all they of that like, for the no. brownies. <laughs> In the movie, though, that was like they definitely seemed like they were Hobbit esque. Where right. it was like you're in the woods and nobody really you're away from all the politics and the war and you just do your own thing in the woods because it's like we don't worry about daikini business like we don't care right. about your worldly politics we just have our shire you know like whatever yeah 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 exactly we, we have our like vaguely dutch adjacent uh, bonnets and caps yeah <laughs> dancing around with palm fronds and whatever it is yeah. that we do so so it's a, but like again i don't it's i think it's like a piece of the puzzle right i think it's in terms of representation, I think it's yeah. like it's a fine piece of the puzzle. I think a rom com is another piece of the puzzle where it's like you know similar to how they had the the holiday the Hallmark movie with the disabled right. person, and it right. was like that's a piece of the puzzle, right? Of like you know, there's you could have movies that focus on someone being disabled, and then you could just have a I, movie where it's like it's a rom com. It's it's inden- yeah, it's I, incidental to the plot. Uh, I guess jumping off of that, we wanted to cover a little bit about, for lack of a better term, world building, the world building yeah. going on in this movie, uh, which is kind of a broad brush we'll be painting with now. Lee, did you want? kind of start us off on that because there were some things you had mentioned earlier like again i we, i kind of talked about it with how i was reading the summary and i took a lot of um, some umbrage and some umbrage was taken and some <laughs> of the things that are said in that summary about the things that happened in that movie so i feel like i can see people that are def- going to defend this movie they're going to try to like come at me with like oh well it's like if you think about it or whatever you can like make draw conclusions like no 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 right no. right 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 the movie has to give you enough context to like understand or draw a conclusion about what happened and the movie does not always do that you don't want to open right. up with like and then queen bav morda was like you know, like she, ascended to power when she married as, the king yeah she, blah, she blah, married blah. the king and then poisoned him and now yeah. she is the evil sorceress and right. lean fell into ruin you don't need to all you don't want to do that that's obviously bad right what you also don't want to do is not that, explain any of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's beyond completely unclear. Again, choreography, like, you know, Willow hits a troll with a spell. The troll gets all lumpy and things happen. And then and then they kick it into the lake and a dragon comes out. And you're like, what, ha- what happened? Right, right. And is this cause and anything. effect? Is this unrelated? And all that would have taken to understand that Willow fucked up a spell is for Willow to have said, oops. Yes. Or, or didn't mean to do that. Or you know, like, for that's goat all woman to be like, Darn it, Willow, you screwed it up again. <laughs> you fucked up again, kid. Yeah, oh, learn magic better, Willow. Like, that's all, it's not like you needed to say, it's not like you needed a character to stop and say, like, oh, gosh darn it, Willow, you tried to kill a you troll. You tried to, right. You turned it into an Ebersisk. Right. I, I do just also want to point out something that I thought was interesting. When the end credits rolled, I recognized someone who did, like, basically, like, art and design for this whole movie and it was this uh french guy uh jean gerard and uh he's also known as mobius but he does a lot of like i know mobius kind of like 1960s semi-psychedelic sci-fi fantasy kind of stuff and i just think it's so interesting that you could hire someone who has that many kind of like interesting eye-popping ideas and i do think there's some like visual moments in here that i think are kind of cool but yet it's so non-indicative of what this world is there are some cool things to look at but it doesn't tell you anything about this place or its people or anything you know what i mean about how the journey out of 
wherever they live, the Nolan village. I don't even know if they name it. But like they to, probably to the, do. The journey from like the village to the crossroads takes mm. you to across so many matte paintings and vistas. <laughs> yeah. So just so many. And then they, it seems like they go back in like seconds. This has like nothing to do, I guess, with like the world building. But the thing that I always find very unusual about that first part of the movie there is that they decide basically that like you have to assemble a posse to take this baby to the whatever the hell the sorceress is named. And so they get together like seven people and then like they almost immediately get into a fight and half of the people leave. And so it's just Willow and Migosh. And then Migosh also leaves shortly after that. Why did you bother introducing all these other characters when they're <laughs> They're not going to do it. Like, I kept kind of waiting for them to come back at the end. Like, maybe Migosh returns at the end. Yeah. He's like, I've overcome, like, my fear of leaving my neighborhood, and now I'm come <laughs> to help you. But, like, they just nope. don't matter. And I guess Migosh is there to, like, give Willow a friend. But again, like, uh, he has, like, a wife, you know? Like, I get that he has connections to his village. He's got family. Like, I'm not really sure what the deal is with Migosh or with those other people. I think in some ways, this attempts to do something that's, like, Star Wars did a lot more successfully, which was reference kind of pulpier tropes that were familiar to people to kind of fill in bits so you don't have to be so blatantly expositional. And I think Star Wars does that extremely well and extremely efficiently on both like a script and visuals level. And I think there was an attempt here to do the same of like, we're just going to gesture at kind of broadly recognizable fantasy tropes, little people, fairies, evil queen, yada, yada, yada. But they don't do a great job of communicating any of that stuff to fill, fill in properly. They, they're not gesturing or referencing as effectively. Yeah. Just speaking to like all the the characters, right? Yeah. That whole segment is a bit odd because it's like they they go to the crossroads, they meet Mad Mardigan, then they half of them leave, and then the other leave like a day later, mm-hmm. like an hour later, really. Yeah. Like, okay. Well, I guess we <laughs> are also fine. right. I guess we did it. Yeah. Yeah, but if it if it had just been one party. If they either the same amount of people and they all left at the same time, mm-hmm. or it was just Migosh. Right. Yeah. That's the my same thing. Is it like thing happens? It could be Migosh, or it could be like that. I, I can't remember the guy's name, but it's like that town, like that the old one, the high old No, Alden. no, not the old one. The other guy, like the pain He's like in the, the ass champion. one. Vorgar, like, Vortigar, something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Something, but like that, that, that like pain in the ass guy who has a cane and he's like, where did you get the seeds, Willow? Where did these seeds come? Like if it was him yeah. and Willow going on the journey. So then like you could have a moment where he's like, we did everything we had to do. I'm going back. And Willow's like, no, I, I don't think that we've actually like completed what I, what I said I would finally do here. I don't think that I'm leaving the baby in a good position. I'm going to go forward and still see what's up. And he was like, oh, fuck you. I'm leaving. Like that would at least give you something. That would be some sort of like a character moment for these other people. And you would have kind of an idea of who the people are who left and why they chose to leave as opposed yeah. to this where it's just kind of like an anonymous bunch of people including that guy who is pissed about the seeds just being like and we're done here and like leave and it's just like well then why did you come in the first place yeah, you know it like kind of, it, it kind of wastes a little bit of time because it doesn't really like amount to much that the village sends all of these people out there. If you'd spent more time and you cared more, it feels like a weird political move, right? For the high old <laughs> one to be like, well, we're going to like send a big party out. Right. As if yeah. we care about this. But like, really, they really just want to wash their hands of this baby. Really, that seems right. to be what, what is happening. But what? why do we care about that? With, with the end game, really, in the movie is that we want Willow to get to the crossroads and meet Mad Marnigan and give the baby to him. And it really doesn't matter right. how many people go with him or who leaves first. So I don't, it doesn't bother me too much. I think it, I think it's in the movie, it's meant to sort of show Willow's devotion that right. he stays a bit longer and is like, well, I'm not going to leave until. Right. I want to follow through a little bit and make sure everything's yeah. okay. 
Well, well, I think that amongst his people, he's more willing to like go put himself out there and help others outside yeah. their kind. But I think the play there isn't like a few hours later, they just give him to Mad Mardigan. I, th- I think what it should have been is more like they meet Mad Mardigan, they're spooked by him, and they just fuck off. Yeah. And then Willow is the one that actually stays and talks to Mad Mardigan and decides that it's okay to give the baby to him. What doesn't make sense to me is like he just does the same thing that the other guys were going to do anyway, right? Right. <laughs> At the end of the day. Like, what <laughs> right. Yeah, no, because they're they're immediately like, give the baby to him. And Willow's like, eh, I don't think so. And then they yeah. leave and Willow's like, fine, I guess I'll give the baby to you anyway. <laughs> It's a weird it's a weird choice. It is. The one thing I had wanted to bring up about this is just kind of first of all, just sort of the idea of magic in general. So I feel like in this movie, magic is sort of like a weird like it's almost the force in this movie where it's like it's this thing that surrounds us all and we like we all kind of can identify with with magic and some of us are more skilled at being magic than others, but we all sense magic within us. And so that but but it's also strange to me that like the high Aldwin in Willow's village is magic we know that he has magic abilities because he gives willow three acorns and is like these will turn shit to stone if you threw them at something and he does and they turn to stone like we know this is factually true and then there's also the scene where the high old one's like follow the birds to take the baby back and then like the bird flies in the direction he's like uh follow the river actually just just follow the river so like i first of all like i guess i want to know a little bit is like is the idea that like magic is kind of its own thing in this universe and like you can't really expect to necessarily control magic or like but why does the bird fly the other direction like i just have a lot of questions about the specifics of like what magic is supposed to be to these people yeah i don't think the movie does a good job of explaining the the i don't think that like you need clear rules i don't think that's the case i I agree magic can be you know, find it can be like kind of vague and mystical, but I don't think the movie does a great job of establishing any sort of base principles. I get the sense that the high Aldwin or the Nelwyn guy is like mm-hmm. just kind of nuts. Like he does magic, yeah. but like he's like not like senile, but like he's just kind of unpredictable. A little batty, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's a little batty and and like the word for a professor, what you could put over professor. Absent-minded. Like absent-minded, yeah. <laughs> Scatterbrained. Like so it's like, he just sometimes gets the spell wrong and it, and he doesn't want to like admit it. So he's like, ah, whatever. I think there are two basic questions you want to answer, right? It's, it's like, where does it come from mm-hmm. and what are its limits, right? Right. Like, mm-hmm. you have, like, and I don't think you want, you need to have like concrete answers for that. Like X amount of physics pressure is what the limits of magic are. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, exactly. You just need to have like a rough guideline of like, well, it can't do X, Y, it can't bring people back from the dead or it can't do X, Y, Z. Right. Um, you know, if you're, you know, you can't only do so much a day, et cetera, but um, you don't really get those answers per se. Yeah. But And it's also kind of tied into like the idea of the wand too, like Sherlindra, Sh- whatever the fuck her name is. Gives Willow, yeah, Cylinder gives Willow that wand. <laughs> and she's like, this is an important wand. Hang on to it. And he's like, not very good with it. And is it like, could anyone do magic with the wand? Is the wand the thing that's magic or is the wand channeling your magic? Unclear, it, it, yeah. If the wand is like an important thing, which it seems to be i just need to know a little bit about it and like why willow is getting it what willow can do with it why willow can't seem to use it effectively up until the end of the movie and the other kind of thing that i was thinking about was the nature of the prophecy in this movie which i think is very strange so there's the whole thing where balmortiver or whatever the fuck her name is knows that there is a prophecy where someday a baby will be born with a birthmark and that baby will overthrow her and so that's why she has all these pregnant women captured and why she's killing their babies like as they're born blah 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 and then at the end the baby really doesn't 
do anything. The baby contributes to her downfall in the sense that the baby gets Willow to go to her and then she accidentally falls into the path of her own spell. But it's not like the baby really did. So like I kept kind of waiting for some resolution at the end where they were like, actually, like the prophecy is kind of vague and nebulous. And what it means is that like, you know, maybe it's not like the baby is responsible, but it's like the love that you have for the baby is what was her downfall, you know, or some shit like that. I was going to say maybe the prophecy itself was sort of a trap of like uh, the the real downfall is in the situation you create when you just round up pregnant women and have them killed. And so it's just like in trying to address the prophecy, you bring your downfall. Right. And I kind of like that as a thing where it's like prophecies are kind of bullshit, but because you believe this prophecy has value to you, you are like sowing the seeds of your own destruction because you're so convinced that this is a thing that's true. And that's what brings about your downfall. Downfall. Similar to like the two-headed dragon, the movie never explicitly like makes this connection. You could walk away from the movie being like, I think that's what it was trying to say. Like, I think it's saying that prophecy and destiny are all bullshit. It never really outright states that. So again, this is just my inference. I don't think this is really a thread, but I do like that the evil queen, she seems to have like a, a shaky grasp on prophecy anyway, because like her soothsayer is like, your daughter will come to betray you. She's like, I don't believe you. I trust her more than I trust you. I just love how two scenes later that's like my lady your daughter has betrayed you and i just love the cut to her soothsayer just looking all like hmm told you yeah Yeah, she is she is very fickle when it comes to what she ends up believing which i think is also strange like again why does she place value on this prophecy but not on anything else I don't know. What's her deal? Again, I don't know. Lee, you were asking earlier, like, who is this demon queen or whatever? This demon sorcerer queen? Her and the other old lady, the one who was turned into the possum, right? Whose name I can never pronounce properly, but you know who I mean, right? Raina, something Something like that. Yeah. So like she originally possum lady was supposed to be like the queen where she was being courted by the king of this land. And she was like, oh, haha, how wonderful for me that I'm the queen. And she was like abandoning her magic teachings because she thought she was going to be the queen and then this evil woman shows up enchants the king and the king is like now i want to marry evil woman and the Uh possum lady's like i'm sorry you want to do what now and the evil woman's like yes and i'm turning you into a possum and sticking you in a castle that's what happened yeah and then she marries the king and turns him into like a statue or something because you can see in the movie there is like an old guy statue at one point who is supposed to be the king and i think at the end you see him like turned back to normal once she is sent to her alternate dimension the king comes back i guess that's kind of the backstory for what her deal is i'm not saying it's a great backstory but it's information that maybe should have been included in some capacity Uh, yeah for sure okay so raziel and Beth Morta are like old frenemies that want yes, to bang yes, the king. Yes, yes, that's yeah. Basically, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> wow, didn't pass the Bechdel test, did we? No, it did not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I, I mean, I gotta of... say though, that doesn't really track in the film. Like that doesn't stick out to me as what's going on, really. Sorcia's the daughter of Beth Morta and the king, and that's why she's like kind of good, supposedly, because she has like a dad who was good and a mom who was evil, and we all know that like these things are genetic. <laughs> yeah. If your parents are evil, you are really evil. Really simple. Your planet when you have a cat, a cat mom That's and a dog. Right. A cat and a dog and you end up with all girls are cats, all boys are dogs. So that is, from what I can tell, the backstory for what characters are. And also, I just wanted to throw in briefly the battle scene between the two of them at the end where these two old women 
are like asthmatic and have bad hips. Yes, right. <laughs> Just at their hips. It was kind of funny. It's truly like the, the scene from Fellowship of the Ring if they had no budget to do wire work effectively. And it was yeah. just sort of these two women waving their heads at each other, be like, blah, 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 blah. the other one would be like, oh no, and like fall over. Then she'll get back up and be like, ah, back to you now. Well, I like it. It's like, it's because again, it, half the time it's not even magic. Like they don't have time to cast a spell and they're just like two old women. It would be like, imagine if like Saruman <laughs> and Gandalf fought, but it was just like. So like just them punching each other. Yeah, like two 80 year olds like slap fighting. <laughs> <laughs> is that the best you got oh. anemic old guys yeah. just thin limbs shattering yeah. against each other yeah that that like i think that moment more than most felt like oh boy like you just did not have the money to make this an interesting battle sequence and you were just kind of like i don't know what if they just sort of like clawed each other for a little bit and yep. balmordi i was like don't worry i'll just shriek a lot <laughs> Chris, I know you want to say a little bit about aesthetics. Did you cover that with like the Mobius sort of thing? Yeah, I think so. I, I guess I just wanted to point out a couple of things I thought were like kind of cool looking. I think despite confusion around it, I liked the look of that weird two-headed dragon thing. Yeah, I did too. I thought that was a good puppet. I liked the look of Balmordia's kind of like crown hood thing. I thought that was a cool look. I also really enjoyed the Nelwyn, just all of their villager looks were interesting because there was a little bit like Laplander Sami look with a blue, red, yellow yeah, tunics yeah. they were wearing. But then they would have like those like very Dutch bonnets like paper and, yeah. bonnets with like the, the peaked caps and stuff yeah. like there were bits that felt like they were just phoning it in the look at the brownies aside from being shrunken. What is that really just? Yeah, they have like spots on them in, and like. Yeah. They also have weird hair, I guess. I, I feel um, like I, they probably should have pushed it a little bit more to make them look... They're just kind of like weirdly... They're like kind of druidic, right? They've got like... One of them's got like a mouse skull headdress, yeah. I think. What are the trolls? They're, they really monkey, just like... They're like everyone's monkey in men. a gorilla suit. Like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah which not like, big. No, they're not. And like, I kind of think that's an interest. Like a furry troll is kind of an interesting way to go. You know, like it's a little bit different than your standard troll, perhaps. I but... guess just make it a little more different from something I can immediately identify as something from my world. No, I I, I agree. I think for me, a lot of the visuals in this movie are just kind of basic looking. Like, despite yes. the fact that so much of this was shot on location in like New Zealand and England and all these beautiful places, everything just looks kind of like blah for the most part. Like it just yeah. looks kind of generic fantasy, which I think is you know something that really works against the movie for me because it could be one of those things where you're like well the story is kind of basic and boring but at least it looks really great and you're just kind of like well no the story's kind of basic and boring and it also kind of looks a little kind basic of and boring so <laughs> meh what can you say characters then yeah so willow i guess starting with willow warwick davis is willow yeah we've, we've touched on it but i think he's a it's a rare male protagonist that you get from these movies especially older times like the 80s but you get that traditional like oh i want to prove myself but it's really much more tempered by i have like a person i need to protect specifically mm -hmm. a child i need to protect i have a family i need to get back to um and those are the primary motivating factors that i yeah. that are motivating me I think there's also a bit of a, it's interesting to, to have him be like, I'm a good person amongst like people who are kind of isolationist and apathetic. I know I'm reading a little deeply, but I, I just liked that element a lot in your hero of like, despite it maybe being an unpopular choice, I'm getting involved to do the right thing. 
Yeah, I agree. I I, I think that's that's a, a pretty solid quality to have in a protagonist. I I also I think that Warwick Davis does a good job with the character. I think it's a pretty good performance, especially considering again he's like seventeen years old. Seventeen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Seventeen. And like, he's doing a good work. Right. And like someone who has not really like had or you know has not really like played like a, a character or someone like this major before too. So it's like, yeah, like I see why this guy's had a career for, you know, his entire life. Like, yeah, he, Very can, he can do it. I also just thought he has such a interesting look. Um, so whenever he's on screen, he's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I thought he was great. Mad Mardigan, are we on Mad Mardigan? Yeah, oh yeah, on that note, let's go what's, to Mad Mardigan, Val what's Kilmer. What's his deal? What's what's who who Mad we Mardigan? We never Pick get to it. Pick one thing. <laughs> so they're clearly setting something up. As soon as they run into him in the cage, Ike or Eric or whatever Eric. his fucking yeah, the, name was. Yeah, the other guy, yeah. Rolls in with his dudes. We're supposed to, I feel, learn from a lot about Mad Morgan from how he reacts to uh, him because he's like, oh, what have you done this time? And mm-hmm. he, so you're definitely getting set up that he's this rap scallion and like local ne'er do well. No, yeah, well, yeah, yes, but no, <laughs> yes, but no, because that's what you'd think. But apparently, he was like a soldier, right? And this is again, this is stuff that I think I uh, we learned again. Yes, from looking other... online, not mentioned in the movie. Yeah, not mentioned in the movie. You assume that he is a scoundrel. Like you assume that for. I mean, I assume that he was nuts. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he immediately comes off like a crazy person, which, like, I think is fine. Like, that's an interesting energy to bring. Sure. I I think it's fine to have an unhinged energy. Now, his name is also fucking improbably. It's Mad Mardigan. That's definitely not someone's name. (laughs) Right. Definitely not your name. Definitely. At some point, somebody called you mad and it got muddled. And just just to be clear, it's not mad. Space. No, it's not it. Which is a hundred percent the first time I watched the movie, I hundred percent thought that they were describing him as mad and his name was Mardigan, and they were just like, Oh, it's Mad Martigan again. But no, it's Med Martigan. One word. Yeah. Four syllables. Too many. It's wrong, and I refuse to believe that that's actually his name. I think that (laughs) at some point could have left it at Martigan. Yeah. Because yeah, nobody is nobody names their child. Mad Bardigan. I don't care if you're in Earth or Narnia or whatever fucking unnamed fantasy, unnamed world, fantasy world. Yes. <laughs> place this movie is in. Uh, yeah, he acts nuts. He seems nuts. He's he gives off more criminal scoundrel rogue energy than anything else. Mm-hmm. And then Eric shows up, and again, you could in- interpret from that from that that yes, it's confirmation that he is some sort of scoundrel. Mm-hmm. But but in fact, <laughs> it's again not through no fault of your own. You'd be, you'd be shocked to learn that actually it's because he like is a former soldier. Right, he's affected. a soldier and like deserted. Yeah, right. Yeah, he like deserted because you know it was madness to fight in this war. Because it turns out it's probably a bad idea to fight Queen Beth Morda and create yeah, probably a kill. bad idea to fight someone who's magic. It's not going to end well. Yeah. But I've talked about this before. But it's like I can't tell if we're supposed to be getting crazy criminal or if we're getting Han Solo or if we're getting disgraced paladin he's mm-hmm. sort of all three of those things to given the situation sometimes he's a himbo sometimes he's clever <laughs> and has a good plan right right i can't tell it's really just like whatever they felt like writing scene to scene it felt like yeah. um and sometimes it works you know maybe maybe i'm i'm just easily led but i kind of liked what val kilmer was doing in the scene where he's all goofed up on uh Blood broken potion. heart dust and yeah, well, no, I think that like the throughout all of it, the energy that Val Kilmer brings is golden. Right. I yeah. think like oh. it's a great performance, but I just don't know who the character is, is what exactly. it ends up being for me. Yeah. I will say, though, it is to his credit that I like trusted him character swing to character swing. He made it feel good. 
when I think it would have felt more psychotic otherwise. If you wanted the character to have manic mood switches, I would have been down for that, but that needed to also have been clear. Yeah, explicitly said it. That has like modes that he switches from. That would have been cool. You could have had like an aesthetic that matches, like maybe he's got like like a mood ring or like different, (laughs) like a drama, you know, like the drama heads, and maybe they switch depending on what mood he's in. Like maybe he's got like a a manic happy mode and like a manic, you know, I'm angry now. Yeah. yeah that would have been fun I'm, I'm just saying i could write a better movie anyway <laughs> uh, i get i guess the next person to go to then would probably be sorsha joanne well well wally well i don't actually know how to say her last name who's actually married to val kilmer for a while IRL. Oh, really? yeah they met on this movie and got married well she's I, terrible and this is why i hate the movie <laughs> please I speak like, on that i i feel like it's i i, I hesitate to blame the actor i feel like this no, i don't think it's the actor's fault it's written this is the one of yeah. the most worst written this is an atrociously written i mean everyone to be ashamed of themselves for yeah. really underwritten the, the, this i mean the, this is aggressively like a bunch of men trying to write a woman and being like uh she fall in love and it make her good oh yeah. my god okay she so, falls in love with him in two minutes even okay, less we, potentially we, it's super unclear again it, what's going on with her again she's apparently half good whatever the fuck that means because she's got yeah. a statue good dad father but at the beginning of the movie, this is a woman whose mother is the evil queen that's killing babies. And she's apparently complicit in this. Right. So she's she's, she's OK with it. So this is where we start our character. Our character is aiding and abetting murdering children. Yes. <laughs> that's your love interest of the movie. And she goes out with General Kale, by the way. I can't, I know that it's K-A-E-L, but I can't get enough of the fact that his name is General Kale. Kale. And that it's named after as a reference to Polly and Kale, right? Right. Just like Ebor Ebor Sisk is named after Ebor. I know, but I just, I just love the idea that he's just like a health K-A-L-E, yeah. (laughs) I just love my kale smoothies. What did you think of his really on the nose uh, skull helmet? Almost, um, almost legend of the sword, of the sword style comically evil character yeah i, I mean so, so much there, there's a lot in this movie that feels like it's presaging the phantom menace to me in terms of what george lucas liked where it's like yeah, well i know i was thinking more just like darth maul it's like it's yeah. like this guy who has like no real personality but he looks cool and he's evil and you've also got like franjan and rule who are like over the top comic characters more into like into like what jar jar would end up being you know where it's like they're so goofy and slapsticky <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. like general kale is one of those things that really feels like what george lucas would get very hung up on on the prequels where it's like you have a guy who like just looks really cool and that's like all you get baby he has a cool helmet <laughs> So you start your character there. The scene in which Val Kilmer, like all drugged up on a love potion, comes in and she's like instantly flustered as a boring. Yeah. Well, it's just like, like some guy shows up and is like, I'm in love with you. And she's immediately like, oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, you are? Clearly, he's clearly high, right? Right. He's like something's amiss here. Like either sober. he's deceiving you or something's been done to him. Yeah. And she's like not immediately just sort out. Like if you were an evil sort of lady, you would just be sort of because he's not defending himself right you would just stab him in that moment right and then you would have won yes exactly and the movie would be over movie end credits <laughs> <laughs> roll congratulations you win and then yeah like after there's that bit where she gets kidnapped for just a little bit which is bizarre that mm-hmm. she just gets out of that so easily and because like yeah. the love potion fades and then inexplicably almost in the middle of that fight again that fight where there again so many things happen like the troll turning into a dragon she just abruptly switches sides which again I think that there's a moment like you were saying where she's supposed to be looking at the statue and it's supposed to be some sort of come to Jesus moment yeah 
I but think. it doesn't play. Right. But instead, it's it also like we don't out. really know the significance of any of this. And it just looks like she's like, oh, fine. Switch flipped. Guess I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Someone someone nudged her and it, it, it physically switched flip the switch right right. and so it's either like you you either have this ambiguous reason for her switching that's not really clearly spelled out or it's like she found boy and she loved boy and now she's good like boy make her good and that's how it plays in the movie and that's why it's so it's just so terrible it just looks she had like one guy looked at her nicely and she threw out everything and we're just gonna forget about the fact that she was letting babies die yeah, exactly. Right. Like that. It's like and so it's, we'll give her a baby at the end of the movie. Like, yeah. hey, I know you've killed all those other babies, but like, would you like to have one for yourself? I'm gonna again to anticipate some defenses that might be coming way. I'm gonna rapid fire list some things that you could do to to make this instantly way better. Now, you could have set up that she is already plotting to overthrow from the start. You could depict her as a victim of abuse or someone that is living in fear of her mother versus somebody that is willingly aiding and abetting. There's a million things you could do to set this character up better for success. Mm-hmm. And absolutely in no way do you make her a redemption about anything to do with the man. Okay. Right. Agreed. It's it's, um, it's Sorsha is, yeah. I think, like the weakest link in terms of characters in this movie. There's a lot of one-dimensional characters, but like Sorsha is the one who's kind of seems like she's written to be multi-dimensional, but just comes off as like yeah, regressive and classic, terrible. Like we're giving you a woman with a sword. Right, right, right. But it's right. the worst character. <laughs> um, acting wise, anything else you really want to get? I mean, like Jean Marsh is Bab Morda. Cackling away. Yeah, just a lot she's of There's a, a lot of over time. the top. Yeah, she does. She does seem like she's having fun. And I got to respect I, her for that. I enjoyed her. They didn't ask a lot for her to do a lot of different things. But uh, yeah, great cackler. She was giving great evil witch queen like that was working. It, it kind of had to work in a vacuum, you know, because there wasn't really yeah. much context for it. But it was good. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wish she had a little bit more to give in terms of a character, perhaps. But I, I think she's she's a fun bad guy, you know. Like she's 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 bringing all she can bring to this role. Yeah, absolutely. If you have like no depth, then at least be big. Right, right. right. Yeah, go over the top and like to try yeah. and compensate for the fact that you don't have a character. Just yeah. be huge, which which she does. Go big or go Just home, be baby. Immense. Yes. Uh, I'm not really sure there's anything else you want to comment on in terms of characters. I would like I, I would point out that the babies who play Laura are like the best actors probably in this movie. I don't know, like all the fucking work they had to do to get like the various reaction shots of her where they'll like occasionally cut to her and she'll make a face like, oh, I don't know, or something like that, where it's like, I can't imagine how much footage they just shot of a baby making faces until they, they finally got one that they They wore. imply that like the baby is like uh, an intelligent being right underneath I it think all. so. Yeah, that like the so. baby has a sense of awareness or something. Yeah. It's yeah. like the fucking Twilight baby. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah, like, that's right. It comes out of the womb with like a fully formed consciousness. <laughs> fully, yeah. <laughs> Which is such a fucking nightmare scenario. Yep. Imagine being a conscious baby. That would be insane. <laughs> Ugh, no, thank you. Um, I mean, yeah, like, uh, like who else would you talk about? Like, like, like Rule and Franjan. I mean, Migosh. Sherlindria. People are gonna come for the brownies. I think the brownies are some of the best parts of this movie. I don't care who who thinks who says anything else. It's so weird to see Kevin Pollack in a fantasy film. It is. It is. There's something. Yeah, I agree that in this day and age, there's something jarringly bizarre about a tiny Kevin Pollack like running around (laughs) that just doesn't quite sit right. But like, who could know? You know, at the time, I I I love that the baby. Nothing of value in any scene. They just are there to fuck shit up at all. Fall time. into beer and like wreak yeah. havoc. Yeah. I mean, they're, yeah, they're complicated they're, scenes. 
they're the comedic relief. It is a jarring uh, in a fun way thing when you first see them coming on the back of that bird. And the scale is so challenging and it's coming right at you that you're like, you're kind of just like taken aback for a second. Like, what's happening? Yeah, I kind of I, I kind of like the idea that there's like a tinier race of people in this world, too, where like you have Willow, who's already like a little person. But it's like, oh, there are actually much smaller people than Willow as well. Like there are right. really, really yeah. tiny guys, too. Isn't which there I like think a is bit funny. where isn't there like a bit where like. They're in a tavern, and isn't one of them almost flirting with a mouse or something? Did I make that up? A cat. It's because of the love potion. I think he gets like yeah, love potion like in his face and sees the cat and is like, like, yeah. oh, your whiskers, they're so great. I love you so much, which is an interesting <laughs> choice. <laughs> a plus soon. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that there's anyone else really worth commenting on too much. Everyone else is like a fairly minor character, kind of just playing like their own one-dimensional. I mean, Finn, Razil, not much to say there, really. Yeah. That's about all I got. Um, anything you wanted to say about things you liked before we go into fixes? Just a thing to praise the movie with? I will say, like, I did not hate this movie, and it was not unpleasant to watch. I think even though the a lot of its like world building was thin, I thought the vibes of this movie were nice. The people that you're spending the most time with are doing a good job in general with material that must have been insanely hard to elevate. So I guess I just want to put it in there. I feel like it's better than it could have been. Sure. Yeah, that's fair. I think the special effects are mostly pretty solid, all things considered, like considering this was a, you know, kind of a pre CGI sort of time. The closest you get to CGI really is the scene where Thin Rays or whatever the fuck her name is keeps morphing into different animals. And like the one scene where Will is turning her back. I think they do a pretty good job, you know, compositing the brownies in. I think Ybor Sisk looks pretty effective. it, It has not aged as poorly as it could have in that respect, I think. Agreed. So shall we go to fixes then? Sure. Let's do it. I can start us out. So in my version of this, uh, I don't think Willow is married. He does not have kids. I think maybe he has a mom and like younger siblings. So you can keep the same actors involved in this movie. And it's, she's just she's <laughs> playing his mom because she's fucking 25 years older than he is. And I think he's going to still be in a, a, like a farmer who's also an assistant to the high Aldwin, who is like the wizard Nelwyn, who is in their village. I think like the high Aldwin likes Willow because he's smart and he's crafty and he's resourceful, but he knows that despite what Willow wants, like he is just not suited to be a magician. Like it's just not a skill set that he has. Like I think in this world, it's kind of magic exists, but it's sort of like athleticism, you know, where it's like you can study really hard and like try and be a good runner or a good football player at a certain point. Like you just might not be able to do it, you know, like you're just maybe never going to be the best of the best because like you simply just don't have that in you. And like, that's okay. That's kind of my thought is that Willow is not someone who's necessarily adept at magic, but spends his entire life being like, I want to be like the village wizard or some shit like that, not just a farmer. I think this is going to play into the end of the movie because this that's one of the things that I do kind of like about the end of the movie is that when he's trying to stall Balmorva, he uses a sleight of hand trick that he used earlier in the movie mm-hmm. when he made a pig disappear. And he's like, I'm going to send the baby away to a safe dimension. He's like, whoopity woo, she's gone. Balmorva's like, what? What did you do? And then like somehow gets sucked <laughs> away. I think that's kind of an interesting idea is that Willow is a character who throughout the entire movie is like, like I must, I must 
learn how to do magic. Like magic will make me important. And then it finds out like, oh, actually you're clever and you're crafty and you're creative. And these are all very valuable skills to have. And maybe, you know, instead of hoping for something that is simply not possible, you should look at what you are good at and try and learn how to use those skills to, you know, give yourself some sort of fulfillment in some way. I think also this is something that Lee had brought up. It was literally the first thing I thought of when I watched this movie for the first time is that Sorsha the entire time is secretly plotting against her mother, that she has come to a realization long ago that her mother is dangerous and awful and crazy. And we find later on that she was the one who actually helped the midwife get the baby out of the castle and like tried to help them escape and was like, that was her best attempt. And then later when her mother finds out that this baby escaped with the midwife and she and, the mo- and her mother's like, I'm going to send evil General Kale to find them down. Sorsha's like, um maybe send me too. you know, maybe I can uh, go off on my own and uh, track down that baby and bring it back to you all the while secretly knowing that she's just going to ally herself with whoever found this baby and try and help them do whatever it is that they need to do to help this prophecy be enacted. None of that love potion shit. Thank you. And I kind of want to deal more with the nature of the prophecy and magic and how this sort of shit isn't all it's cracked up to be and how kind of like I said earlier, the idea that the prophecy brings about the villain's downfall, not because the prophecy said it would, but because the villain places so much belief in this sort of bullshit and that's what kind of makes them fall at the end and you know you also learn because of that that these sorts of things and magic aren't all they're cracked up to be and how willow instead then learns the value of being clever and creative over the ability to have some sort of supernatural magic ability that's kind of my thought my it's mostly just that like this this plot is so fucking basic that's like my biggest issue with this movie is just like kind of like the most basic hero's journey sort of plot and i just kind of want to like zhuzh it up a little bit more with in terms of like developing characters and maybe adding some little um you know focusing on the questionable nature of what magic is i like that that's it uh, my idea kind of goes like this i want to have it be like similar to brandon willow does not have like a wife and kids like he does in this one um i want to have it be that he is just he's like a farmer in the village i want to have it be that the high aldwin had like basically a past as an adventurer but had like since settled to like kind of run this village and hang out there and that Mad Mardigan, I want to have him blow into town and having been like, uh, having been in like an adventuring party with the High Aldwin before. And that's sort of how uh, this adventure of, you know, I have an informant on the inside of Balmora's castle. I just need to like gather up a good group of people to kind of like invade and help overthrow. The Aldwin will kind of send them on their way to go gather up Reza, the good Uh, lady sorceress, to kind of gather Razia. And I think I want to make like the brownies also kind of like a chaotic comedic relief thing, but also more like tinkerers. I want to have them be maybe more like, yeah, they were a part of our adventuring group as well. And this is sort of the party that gets assembled to break into the castle. And it's actually Balmoria's daughter, who's the person on the inside, because she and Madame Ardigan were already in cahoots. That's pretty much all I have in terms of what I would change. What about you, Lee? I still want to focus on the three, the trio of Sorsha, Willow, and Mad Mardigan. I want Willow to have a family. I enjoy that. I like that he has connections and roots, and I like that the journey is more about this one quest and getting home and less about, like, finding a purpose. I don't know. I don't think that movies have to be about, like, this guy doesn't know what his purpose is. I kind of like that maybe he starts off thinking that he needs to be this sorcerer. And maybe he he becomes a sorcerer. But I think that 
the growth or the 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 arc or the growth point is like what I am is a, a parent or a family friend or a protector, and that's what I'm doing. Everything I do is in the service of that. So like, if I'm going to be a sorcerer, it's not like in the act. It's not to, to do anything else, but then to help me protect my people and my family and kind of like reframing why he wants other things right versus yeah. like thinking mind mindlessly pursuing a goal for the goal itself or whatever i think that source is a hard sell and i've been thinking about how to do it because i think that either way like i don't want to spend a lot of time on even if sorcia is either willingly plotting against your mother then you have to deal with the grittiness of like well you still have to sit back and calculatedly allow a lot of right. babies to die because you don't right. want to throw, throw your hand away and then if it's the other way around that you're living in fear then you have to deal with all the trauma i don't want to deal with that either maybe she's cursed and i i've so maybe there's like some sort of curse where she's like unaware or like she's had some part of her shut down so that she's not able to like fully Question disobey. Or disapprove, yeah yeah or disapprove of some of the things that she's doing and maybe you can kind of get glimpses of it like in between actions or like it has to be like refreshed every now and then I and mean, you can kind of see that like there's a part of her that doesn't want to be doing this but doesn't really have full agency over what she's doing but if the curse is lifted then then that would be the case i also like this idea that I came up with literally 20 minutes ago that I'm now <laughs> marrying myself to because I Let's do it. I didn't know what quite to do with Ben Mardigan, but I liked him being unhinged. I think that I like the idea of him being either a general or maybe even a prince of a kingdom, of another kingdom that was lost. But I like the idea that he is also cursed by Beth Morda and the curse does curse him to like only ha like shift moods and like only be able to display like one mood or like have like a sort of a split persona where like he can only deal like one mode at a time and there's some sort of like whatever thing he's cursed with sort of displays like what that is mm -hmm. uh, and i like the idea that that fuels like so when you meet him like I, I think that would be fun if people aren't familiar with it so when they need him the first night maybe he's fine and then like he get he gets something angers him and then like the angry one comes out and then it's like oh shit like what <laughs> the fuck they're really and maybe there is no love potion but maybe there's like a particularly like amorous romantic one that comes out at some point and there's just like a bunch of different aspects of him that are like separate because they can't be they've just been like divorced from from like one part of his from like the, the whole of his psyche and uh yeah I, I like the idea that throughout the story it's not a matter of like breaking the curse but like he gradually learns to like unite some of those back into one being <laughs> or like get more control over when he can switch to which one uh, maybe with the help of Sorsha and uh willow of it's like learning to better manage the the different sort of personalities and moods on display i don't know if that i would do the whole banish thing at the end i think it's fine to just you know we're just going to kill the baby in the end, right? Like, yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, again, that's also one of those things where it's just, it makes sense if you spend time being like, explain why you have to banish the baby. Otherwise, I'm watching this movie being like, I don't know, just like hit it with a rock yeah. or something. Like, what the <laughs> because... fuck are you doing? All of the other babies where they were killing. Why? Right. Why yeah. One. Just yeah. So like I don't know. Just keep killing them. Well, God, what are you yeah. doing, Beth Morda? Also, <laughs> what also makes no fucking sense, right? Is that they she gets all the pregnant women. Mm -hmm. She takes the babies and then I think she kills them. Even if they don't have the first right, one. no, that's the thing too. Like, like, why does she kill the like? That just feels like you're, you know, again, in terms of like sowing you the seeds of your own downfall. You're making yeah. everyone angrier with you because yeah, you're killing also, everyone's children. And why? Yeah, like you're gonna have what well, the birth rate is gonna plummet. Right, like where, where are your taxes coming from now? Yeah, I didn't think about that, did you, Beth Morda? What about <laughs> elderly care in the future? Right, who's gonna take <laughs> yes. care of all the old people? Anyway. All right, so going off of that, uh, would you recommend this movie? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's like I a fake short for me. Like, I, I didn't love this, but I know there are a lot of people who do like it. So, like, I don't know, maybe it'd be one of them. This, yeah. um, I, I, I find it hard to be like mad at this movie. You know, I mean, I'm a little mad at it <laughs> for well, aside the from yeah, confusion, but Sorsha, yeah, and Sorsha. But you know, I think it's worth seeing. I think it's part of the zeitgeist enough that you should see it. Probably. Yeah, that's true. I don't really have any desire to watch the TV series, so we will be back. Uh, two weeks from now with a mini episode where we'll be talking about what movie we'll be doing after that up until then you can always find us at facebook.com slash whitewitchpodcast draftpack.com is our website find all our episodes there you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcast and Stitcher Premium and rate us there as well and uh, as I said be back two weeks with a mini episode bye bye, bye.